Welcome to Vertical Life Church. My name is Joey. I'm the lead pastor here. I see many new faces, and I want to say thank you for choosing to spend some time with us today. We have a philosophy here at our church. We believe everyone matters to God. Everyone. You matter. You don't believe me? Just flip open to John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God gave his life for you. That's how much you matter. You are to die for in God's eyes, in God's sight. We hope that you sense that today, that you sense his love, his grace, and his mercy, that you find a place at home here at Vertical Life Church. And uh, we want to be an encouragement to you wherever you are on your spiritual journey. Uh, the last couple weeks, we've been in uh, a teaching series through the book of Psalms. We've kind of been highlighting some of my favorite Psalms over the course of my uh, uh Faith journey, I've been leading worship as a worship leader since I was in elementary school, and, and uh, as you lead worship, God often directs you to the Psalms, because that's his worship manual, his worship book, and so we've just kind of been looking at different Psalms and what his word is for us and how we can apply that to our lives, because many of us, you know, when we think of our lives, when we, when we think of where we are in our health, oftentimes we think of just our physical health. I mean, the minute you start feeling the sniffles, the, the drainage, you start feeling the, the lack of energy, you think, oh, man, I got to get the vitamin C going. I, I got to start, you know, getting the vitamins. You know, I'm going to start ganking uh, some of the, you know, Flintstones from the closet, even though they're for my kids. I'm going to start eating them because I'm too cheap to go buy the adult version. You, you know, this, this, we start medicating and, and treating ourselves. We try to eat healthy try to get a good night's sleep, we down the Tylenol and all the over-the-counters because we just don't want to get sick because we know that when we're sick, everything is terrible. Our, our attitude, our, uh, the way we see the world, everything just isn't right. And so when it comes to our physical health, we often jump right to medicate that, to treat that, to, to, to make sure that we are physically healthy. But when it comes to our spiritual health, Oftentimes, that goes neglected. And we can walk through this life spiritually sick and not even realize it. Not even realize it. We're, we're tired. We're constantly frustrated. We have anxiety through the roof. Everything is negative, And we wonder why life is just so awful. It's because we are spiritually unhealthy. And we're not accessing the joy that comes from the presence of God because our souls are sick. And when our souls are sick, it makes it hard to have that connection, to feel the closeness of God, to feel uh, his love and his grace, to, to be inspired with hope and faith, to continue on 
in obedience. And so we've been going through the book of Psalms because it's, it's been said and studies have shown that music and worship, singing, is actually the sound the soul makes. And that the way God created us is that we have this innate desire or need for our soul to express itself. And when we do that, we begin to receive healing in our souls. That's why whenever, you know, you break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend and you're just crushed and you turn on the radio and automatically you connect with that country song that's about everyone that's died in the last five years in your life. And you're, you're weeping along with it just because your soul is feeling that sadness and you're connecting to it. But music doesn't just minister to us whenever we are uh, you know, not feeling well or, or when we're happy, but music can also help us uh, connect and can connect with our emotions in a way that we begin to take on the emotions of the song. You know, you, you might, just might be indifferent. You might be barely awake and driving to work, but then your jam comes on, and then you start going nuts. You guys seen that video on YouTube of that little kid that's whining and crying in the back seat, and then all of a sudden her jam comes on, and she's like, <gasps> you know, it's, it's like music does that. It has an effect. It can change our mood because it ministers not just to our physical self, but our spiritual self. And in the center of the Bible, right smack dab in the middle, the biggest book of the Bible is found. And guess what it is? It's a book of worship, of music. It's the foundation of our very scriptures. It's God's worship manual on not just how he wants to be worshiped, but how we can continue to uh, take care of our souls and have that connection with God so that we don't walk around with sick souls. And so we've been going over and looking at different songs in the Bible and applying it to our lives and how we can minister and, uh, and heal our souls and, and strengthen our faith journey and our connection with God. And this week we are in Psalm chapter 23. Psalm 23. If you have your Bible there, you can turn there. Uh, the verses will also be on the screen. And we're going to go through this line by line. Line by line. The, the clip you just saw was a couple of my kids, Reese and London, when they were uh, just a few years ago, when they were three and six. And uh, in the Henry household, we try to have family night. Uh, it's not always consistent, but at family night, we try to talk about the Bible or go over the verses that they cover uh, in their classes. Today, your kids are going to be learning the Bible and, and getting uh, um, taught the Word of God. And so we, we take those home and try to teach those to our kids or other verses that meant a lot to my wife, Tony, and I as we were growing up. And, and uh, when they were three and six, our, for a family night, we decided to cover Psalm 23, a very popular chapter in the Bible. And uh, we created a contest for them. I can't remember if it was staying up a little extra later or getting some candy, but whoever got to, whoever memorized that chapter and could say it, uh, would get the prize. And, and of course, whenever they started to, it was super cute. And so like uh, proud parents, we got the phones out and recorded them. And, and it was just uh, so happened that I was able to find that for our service today. So um, that, that's where that came from. But uh, Psalm 23, it's one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. Many have been taught this at a young age, like I did, I was, and my kids were. Many have, uh, have this as their life's passage, this life scripture. Many people have this read at their funerals. This chapter of the Bible is, uh, a lot of times, can be someone's introduction to the Word of God, as well as the conclusion of their faith journey. And I think even though it's well known and frequently quoted, it's easy to kind of miss what David is, is saying to, as we skip over some fundamental truth that's revealed by God here in this 
passage of scripture in this song. And so today as we look at this uh, verse by verse and we discuss kind of how each statement applies to us, uh, today we're going to read it in the old-fashioned language, in the King James Version. This is the version that, uh, that I grew up uh, learning the Word of God and, uh, from and how I had this memorized. And I like the way that it reads. And probably if you were to quote it to me right now, you'd be quoting from the King James as well. So, so we're going to look at it in the King James Version. Uh, but if you would with me, as we read each of these verses, I would like you to read it aloud with me. And let's read the Word of God together. So beginning in Psalm 23, verse 1, let's read this together. It says... The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, when I was younger, this verse always kind of puzzled me. Because I would read it and think, you mean if God's my shepherd, I'm not going to want anything? And I thought, well, you know, that can't be what it means because, you know, I believed in God, Jesus was my Savior, and God's my shepherd and I'm not going to want anything, then there might be something wrong with me because you know what? I want a lot of stuff. I want a lot of stuff. So there's, I must, must be broken or I must not understand what's going on here. And So it wasn't until later that I really began to understand what this verse meant. And this is one of the challenges of the King James Version of the Bible because we don't talk this way anymore. And so it takes some study to kind of figure out what, uh, what they're saying here. That's why I prefer to teach from some of the more modern translations, a little easier to understand. But uh, uh, when my wife and I were first married, we uh, discovered this movie called A Knight's Tale. It was one of Heath Ledger's more popular movies, and in that movie, actually, the princess in the movie, her name was Jocelyn, and so that's where we got our daughter's, uh, our oldest daughter's name. She's named after a movie character, so, so uh, personal. Right, but, uh, but we, we really like this movie. And uh, in this movie, Heath Ledger's character as the good guy is always at odds with the bad guy and the, the bad knight. And they would always have these competitions. They would joust each other. And at the start of the movie, Heath was not as good as the, the bad knight. And every time the bad knight would beat Heath Ledger's character, he would say this phrase. He would say, you have been weighed, you have been measured, but you've been found wanting. And, and so immediately when I heard that, I thought of this scripture, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so I, I began to just study what this term meant. So wanting or want, it doesn't have to do with desire or things that you want in your life, but it has to do with everything with need. So what the bad knight was telling Heath's character is that no matter how hard you try, you're never going to have what you need to beat me. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be able to rise to that. I'm so far ahead of you. You're not ever going to be where I am because you lack what you need. And here in verse 23, or chapter 23, verse 1, God is our shepherd. And because he is our shepherd, we will not be without anything we need. This is what the word of God is saying to us. And David, King David, he started out his life as a shepherd. And so he's using the symbolism that he was all too well aware of to communicate a truth to us. You see, a shepherd's job was to take care of the sheep. 
to take care of the flock in every way, from safety and security to uh, leading the sheep to pasture to make sure they had enough food to making sure that if one took ill, he was medicating them and treating them to make sure that they could recover. And so he knew exactly what he was getting at when he was talking about the sheep not having to want with God being the shepherd. And so if we, as the sheep, are going to be without need, then what do we need to do? Well, we need to follow the shepherd. We need to follow the Lord. If you research shepherding, a quick Google search, you'll discover that there are different ways that shepherds lead the flock. You'll find that they can lead from either the front of the flock or from the back. The front or the back. And it's easy to follow the shepherd when the shepherd's out in front. You can see where he's going, and you just follow right along. That's kind of brainless work. You know, if God was making things obvious for me, like, like he has in the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. Okay, I think I got that one. Thou shalt not steal. Okay, yeah, that's pretty easy. I, I can do that. Thou shalt not lie. Okay, that's a little bit more hard, but I, I understand that that's wrong, right? So, so when God makes it obvious, it's easy to obey. It's easy to follow when it's obvious. I don't have to wonder what I'm supposed to do. I know as a Christian, I'm supposed to share the gospel. It's pretty, pretty plain to tell people about the love of God and how they can know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's obvious. It's plain. It takes very little faith to follow God when it's obvious, and even though there are many things God has revealed to us that are obvious, there are still some of us as Christians that choose to leave the flock to go their own way. They wander off the obvious path. They get isolated and alone, and they end up getting caught up in the thorns or in the thicket or stuck in a ditch, and they have to wallow in their situation until the shepherd comes to rescue them from their situation. And some of you here today, you've kind of been that way. You know what God wants from you. You know what God expects of you. You know what God wants you to do. Why? He's made it obvious. Disconnecting from the flock has been a choice that you've made. And when you go off on your own way, when you disconnect from the flock and then turn around and get stuck in a ditch, our natural inclination is then to blame God for the ditch. To blame God for us getting stuck. But we are the ones that wandered. And then we use that that falling in the ditch or getting stuck in the thorns as an excuse to justify us wandering off. Well, you know, if God's just going to let me fall in the ditch when I make my own decisions, then I might as well just do what I want anyways. But the fact remains that it takes a little bit of faith to follow God when it's obvious. It takes so much more faith to follow God when it's not obvious. And this was true even for the disciples. In John chapter 20, verse 29, uh, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, you believe me because you've what? Seen me. Blessed are those that believe without seeing. What he's telling his disciples is that, and this describes our lives perfectly. So we look at the disciples and we think, you know, man, they did these miracles. They did all these wonderful things. Peter walked on the water and we see all this stuff that they did. And I'm looking at them like, well, you know, if Jesus was standing next to me, I could probably walk on the water too. 
If Jesus is standing next to me and he just fed 5,000, I probably wouldn't, you know, doubt that he could heal or raise the dead through me. You see, the disciples got to see his power in action. They got to see him face to face. They got to follow him. They received authority directly from Christ to go out and do miracles. They had it so much easier than we do. They saw the miracles. They saw the ministry. They got to perform the miracles with Jesus standing beside them. But for us... As Christians, in our day, we are the flock that are supposed to follow the shepherd with the shepherd following from behind. It's a lot harder to trust. It's a lot harder to trust when many of the things that we're expected or, or see that God's laid out for us in the scripture are a little less obvious. You know, we're supposed to believe that letters written a couple thousand years ago are divinely inspired scriptures from God, and we're supposed to base our entire faith system on these scriptures. That we're supposed to walk in authority and, and do the same things that Jesus said that we could do by our faith based on these scriptures. Well, that's a little bit more difficult, especially when it goes against everything we experience. It goes against how this world operates in things. That's a little bit more difficult. They had it easy because they saw Christ. We have it more difficult because we don't have Christ with us today in the same way. But even though God has chosen to direct us from behind, our responsibility still remains the same, and that's to listen to his commands and follow him where he leads us to go. John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. True believers in Christ are listening for the shepherd's voice. They're listening for his commands. They're listening for his direction. See, sometimes the shepherd leads from the front, but other times he leads from the back. Sometimes his commands aren't black and white. Sometimes his will for us is to keep walking in a straight line, to keep going in the same direction until he chooses to make us make another move. We can go a long stretch without hearing from the shepherd, but our responsibility is to be in obedience. And sometimes whenever we're, we're going, I know in my life when it seems like I've gone a long time without hearing from God and I'm not real sure what it is he wants me to do, sometimes I can kind of try to tempt God a little bit and start wandering off in my own direction just to see if I, I hear God say, no, 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 get, get back in line, you know, just because we get impatient. We start looking for signs and when we don't hear from God, we don't see the signs, we drift a little bit just to get something from him as an indicator for his will. Sometimes we know exactly where we're going. Other times, it's a lot more difficult. But when God ushers the command to the flock, and he doesn't lead out in front to make it obvious, it's not always easy to be obedient, especially when we're impatient. Because as sheep, when we look out ahead and we see that there's not a clear path, when God what God wants us to do when he's directing us and it doesn't seem to make sense with what's going on in our lives and in our world or our present context or God might be leading us to do something that is in conflict with what we want to do. Oh God, I wanted to go into business for myself. Well, well I want you to give up your business dream and go be a missionary in a third world country. Sometimes it conflicts with what we want to do. Choosing to be obedient is hard. It can be a painful choice. To choose discomfort over comfort. And the reality is, is that God might send us, as he's leading us, through the thorns. 
when what we want to do is walk along the beach. Like letting go of a relationship that doesn't honor him. Because it feels so much easier having someone in your life that acts like they love you than being alone. Or maybe God leads you uh, to let go of some friends or negative influences in your life, even though you feel like with them you are a part of something. I remember having to make a similar decision in high school growing up. I had surrendered my life to God to serve Christ, to to uh, go where he wanted me to go, to do what he wanted me to do. And if I was going to be surrendered to God, I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision to let go and separate myself from the things that were influencing me to rebel against him, to make poor choices and get me uh, trapped further in the ditch of my own making. And it's painful. Sometimes those decisions are hard. It's hard to follow Christ through those uncharted territories. Sometimes God asks us to change a habit, a behavior, a lifestyle, who we love or let in our lives or even our goals and plans for the future. And in that moment, when we hear the command of God, when the Spirit speaks to our hearts but lays, or lays a burden on our heart, where we may not hear an audible voice, but we feel deep inside this knowing of what God wants us to do, it might be scary, it might be unclear, it might be confusing, it may even be painful. And in that moment when he gives us that not so obvious direction where we're not quite sure what he's asking us to do, but we know he's asking us to do something, we have to decide in that moment if we trust him enough to follow his commands even when it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 Solomon writes this, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. You see, even though sometimes what God asks us to do might not be obvious, it might be confusing, it might be, we might be unsure of really what he's asking us to do, he's always directing us back to the right path. God is a good shepherd, and he is leading you toward something. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says this. He says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That is where God is trying to lead you. That is what God is trying to lead you to as the shepherd. If you follow him, if we seek the kingdom of God above all else, we will not be found wanting because we will have everything we need. Because our Father is going to lead us like a shepherd to a good pasture, to blessing in an overflowing life. Let's read verse 2, or the second part of verse 1 with me. Psalm 23, uh, verse 2, it says this. He says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. So as sheep, as they graze in a certain area, eventually the resources are going to be used up. So the shepherds, seeing that you know before long this area is not going to be uh, a, a prime place for his flock, he has to move the flock to another place in order to give them what they need. Not just for them to survive, but also to thrive. So lambs can be born and be free of danger and starvation. And our problem is, as, as a church in our day, is we get so comfortable where we are in life. And many times we confuse a desert for paradise. And we confuse indifference for comfort. See, it may seem like right now you have everything you could possibly want. You have good health, you have nice clothes, food, shelter, a job, income. You've got all the toys that you want. You can go to the lake anytime you want to. 
But even though on the outside everything looks good, on the inside your soul could be slowly starving to death because it lacks the nourishment it needs to thrive. And when the shepherd sees that you have used up everything in the camp, that, that before long malnutrition and dehydration are going to begin to set in for a lack of resources, he makes a move. And when he moves, God challenges your stubbornness. He shakes your comfort so you don't stay stuck in the desert that will mean your ruin, the desert you think is a paradise. See, God is not going to let you just lay down and die in the desert. He's not going to let you succumb to indifference. He's going to keep pushing you towards the next place of rest, towards the next place of flourishing, because his goal isn't to keep you where you are. It's to take you up another level, to greener pastures, to greater blessing, to become more and more like Jesus. He makes you lie down in green pastures. Let's read uh, the second part of verse 2 says, He leadeth me beside the still waters. See, God won't let you fall off a cliff into rushing water and be overcome by the raging seas. He leads you by the still waters. So you can see yourself the way he sees you in the water's reflection. So you can get a drink that nourishes, edifies, and encourages your soul. This summer, uh, my family with my in-laws went up north to a cabin. And there at the cabin, we had... Uh, a paddle boat. It was kind of fun. Uh, late at night when uh, we put the kids to bed and everybody was kind of tucked in for the night, Tony and I, we took the paddle boat out on the water and it was just completely peaceful. The water was perfectly still. It was like floating on glass. It was amazing. And in that moment, uh, just with all the craziness and, and hecticness of the day, uh, all the things that feed my anxiety and stress were just gone. So I could just soak in that peaceful moment. And I got a taste of the peace that God wants us to enjoy, the peace that he wants to fill our lives with. And that, that reminds me of this verse. This is why he leads you by still waters, so that we're not overcome by the raging seas of life. Because life is like a raging river. We're constantly fighting against the current on our journey, and this life tires out. We wear down. We struggle many times just to keep our heads above water through different circumstances and situations. And it's hard among all of our failures and mistakes to see ourselves the way God sees us. To see past the lies of our enemy and all the painful emotions in the moment. To understand the true reality of our situation. And when God sees us, he doesn't see our mistakes, our failures. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. See, still waters, especially during the daytime, are, act as a perfect mirror. Still waters help us to see not only who we are in Jesus Christ, that we are loved by our Creator, but also as we continue to do God's will to follow the shepherd, we'll get to see how we're reflecting His image in the world. That the struggle is worth it because of the impact we're making on those around us, giving us confidence to get up and keep going, to keep following, to keep trusting the shepherd. Still waters give us the faith to know that even in the madness and craziness of life, if we would choose to keep following the shepherd, even when it's not so obvious, we will get to that place of rest, to the waters that bring peace to our souls. Chapter 23, verse 3 says, He restoreth my soul. This is God's desire for us, that as he leads us, our souls will continually be renewed day after day. The soul becomes drained after a long journey, after treacherous travels, 
after weathering raging waters and violent storms. And God knows this. And he knows that it will be through following the shepherd's voice that will bring us the security we need. His touch will bring the calm. His provision will bring the strength. His love will bring the hope. And that if we follow him, we'll be refreshed when we drink from the still waters. Everything we need to flourish and thrive. Let's read the next part of the chapter. Chapter 23, the second part of verse 3, says this. It says, He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Our God is not only great, but our God is also very, very good. And for his name, his reputation, to remain as great and as good as he is, that it's not only the paths in life that lead to righteousness that he will command us to travel, but he will never lead us to do something that is opposite of his nature, character, will, plan, or design. That's what Satan does. Satan has a goal. Jesus has a goal to bring us a life overflowing. Satan has a goal, and that is to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan is going to lead us to do things in opposition of who God is. Our sin nature is going to lead us to do things in opposition of who God is. Our God does not call us to sin, but he calls us to repentance to walk away from our sin and pursue the paths of righteousness. But see, for God, even though his name is on the line, it's not for a selfish reason that he leads us to the path of righteousness. It's not for a selfish reason. No, he has a good plan. He has a plan to lead us to righteousness. He has an abundant life in store. Righteousness leads us into the blessings of our God. In the next chapter of Psalm 24, here's what David says. He says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas. He built it on the ocean depths. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure. Who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessings and have a right relationship with God their Savior. In the King James Version, verse 5, it says, He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God his salvation. The path of righteousness is not an easy path to take. And at times, just like a sheep that rebels and tries to go astray, you may need to experience the correction of our God to keep you on the right path. But it's for a reason. There's a popular old story about a shepherd and his flock of sheep. He had one sheep that, I don't know, maybe woke up on the wrong side of the bed or got some bad grass. I don't know. Uh, what was wrong with the sheep? But the sheep would continue to wander away from the flock. The shepherd would have to go find the sheep. And the sheep would do this over and over and over again. So finally the shepherd got tired of the sheep wandering away because he loved the sheep. He wanted to take care of the sheep. He didn't want anything bad to happen to the sheep. And so finally he grabbed the sheep and he broke one of its back legs. And then he put it in a splint and mended it. And then he proceeded to carry the sheep over his shoulders until the sheep was healed. And he did this because the sheep wouldn't be able to walk by itself, and it had to depend on the shepherd for all of its, for everything, for its food, for uh, its, its good, for its well-being. And as the, sh the leg began to heal over time, the sheep would just naturally stay by the shepherd. It would be bonded to the shepherd. And when the sheep could walk by itself again, it never left the shepherd's side because it had gotten so used to being at the side of the shepherd. And the symbolism 
of this story, even though it kind of seems kind of cruel that he would break the back leg of the sheep. See, while the sheep was in pain and it couldn't move, it learned to depend on the shepherd. All the provision that the shepherd provided and he would never leave the side of that shepherd again. And that symbolism applies to us today because our sinful nature compels us to wander away from God. This world compels us to wander away from God. And because God loves us so much, because he sees the danger ahead, he sees the danger that we're headed for when we wander away from the paths of righteousness, he will bring discipline into our lives by allowing different circumstances into our lives that make us dependent on him. So we'll realize that everything we need is found in him if we would just stay close to the shepherd and travel the path of righteousness. And one of the incredible messages of this story is that even though God may bring discipline into your life, he may allow something into your life that causes you some pain, he doesn't leave you to fend for yourself. No, he picks you up and he carries you through that situation. Tending to your wounds and your needs until you're strong enough to walk on your own again. Because our God loves you. He's a good God. He's a good shepherd. And he leads us to the paths of righteousness because he knows at the end of the path is a blessing that we desperately need. Let's read the next verse. Psalm 23, verse 4. Let's read it together. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. When I was a young kid, I can remember being fascinated with my shadow. Any of you play with your shadow when you're a little kid? You know, I remember, you know, standing outside and seeing the shadow and just trying to move my body to make it as long and as big as I possibly could. And I'd pretend like it was a monster or, or that I was a giant and, uh, and uh, having fun just keeping... Uh, uh, myself uh, entertained and occupied. Uh, but uh, the reality is, even if you can get your shadow to be super long or super big and super scary, is that the shadow is not a true reflection of the object creating the shadow. The shadow was not a true reflection of me. It wasn't a true reflection. And the same is true for the children of God. As God is leading us on the paths of righteousness, the paths toward our greatest potential, toward our greatest blessing, to true satisfaction in this life, we may go through a valley. And the Bible uses this term valley to symbolize struggle, tension, or fear, or negative situations. We may go through a valley in this life. Chances are you've been through some valleys already. A really scary valley. And David here, he invokes the worst possible scenario by calling this valley or this season the valley of the shadow of death. I hear a dun-dun-dun at the end of that. The valley of the shadow of death. And when we were teaching this chapter to our kids, that was their favorite part. That was their favorite part. London, she, she liked saying that part the most, and she'd just make it as big as possible. You kind of saw it a little bit there in the video. But this valley of the shadow of death, it seems so fearsome because this is the valley where evil lives. This is the valley where fear is born. This valley has a dead-end sign as you begin to approach it or a stop-and-go-back danger is ahead sign. So every time we begin to enter these valleys, these valleys of the shadow of death, everything within us begins to cry out, Run! 
Run for your life. Don't keep going this way. Go some other way. Because we don't like going through those seasons. But yet look at what the psalm says. Look what David says. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? I will fear no evil. Why? Because the shepherd is with me. Why isn't David afraid in the valley? It's because the valley is only a shadow. It's a mirage. It's not a true reflection of the power behind it. It looks like something fearsome, something monstrous, something to be afraid of. But it's not that big a deal. You see, eventually the sun is going to rise and the shadow is going to fade away. Because eventually as we pursue righteousness, we follow the path God has set before us, we will get through that difficult season. So even though death might be close by in this valley, casting this shadow, the one with David, the one shepherding David, the one leading him through this valley, is the source of everlasting life. He's the source of all we need. Psalm 118 verse 6 said, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? When God is with you, we have no reason to fear. For those of us in Christ, we may pass through death's shadow, but guess what? Death cannot touch us. The only thing that death can do is look onto us with jealousy because Jesus conquered death and robbed its power by force with the cross. Not only did Jesus rob death of its power, but he stands by us as the good shepherd with his rod and staff in hand to protect us from dangers and beat back every foe. If God is for us, who can be against us? See, it doesn't matter how big or how long or how long we travel through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because God is with us. Psalm 121.4 says, Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. God never slumbers. He never sleeps. He never falls asleep at the wheel. He never falls asleep on the watch to guard our souls to watch over his people. We never have to worry about anything taking God by surprise. An old uh, evangelist, comedian, pastor that used to come to my church when I was a young kid, he would always say this. He said, did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurs to God? Did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurs to God? Why? He doesn't sleep or slumber. He's never caught by surprise. He sees the danger ahead. He never falls asleep. He doesn't go into REM sleep where he can't be awakened even by a fierce storm. When I was a little kid, uh, we had a hurricane coming up the East Coast when I lived in Boston. My parents actually made me take a nap during the hurricane, and I slept through the whole thing. I woke up, and there were trees and everything were all over everywhere. I went to bed, it looked peaceful. I woke up, and it looked like a, a war zone. I didn't even know that it happened, but I slept through it. God doesn't sleep that hard. Why? Because he doesn't sleep. He's always on guard. He always is watching over us. We have no reason to fear because he will never leave us or forsake us. He is the God who sees, Elroy E., the God who sees, who's watching over us. He will not allow anything to come into our lives he does not intend to use for our greater good. And part of our faith journey as followers of Jesus is to trust 
in God's leadership, his protection, his provision, even in the valley. To stay the course when it's scary. Because the center of his will is the safest place we could ever be. And as his sheep, we are to go where he leads, believing he has a good plan for us every step of the way. So we don't get lost in the darkness. Let's read the next verse, Psalm 23, verse 5. It says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. See, what God puts before you, the enemy cannot touch. You need to know that. The anointing oil, or the anointing of oil, symbolizes being set apart, being chosen for a purpose or a task. David, when he was anointed to be king, the prophet Samuel came by and anointed his head with oil, symbolizing God had set him apart for a great purpose. The anointing of oil also can symbolize being filled with the Spirit of God and empowered to do His will. And here, the Word of God is revealing that we are the anointed. We are the chosen. We are blessed by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are set apart for a purpose. The powerful imagery here is that because we are the Lord's anointed, your provision, your blessing, your purpose, your calling, your gifts, everything God has given you, by preparing them and setting them before you in front of your enemy, God is saying to the opposition, this is my beloved child, this is my chosen one, I dare you to try to come and take what's theirs. I dare you see what happens. See, the table is a place of honor. And God has prepared a table for you to fill your life with goodness and good things. God prepares the table for you with an enemy nearby like a begging dog. And the enemy wants everything you've been given. But he has no authority to take what God has prepared for you. The only way the enemy can have a sample of what God has made for you is if you give it to him. That's it. And guess what? He's going to take every scrap he'll get. And if you've ever been a dog owner, you know the minute you start feeding them human food, you better call manners over with. They start begging and begging, and you sit down at the table, and guess who's right there wagging their tail with the puppy dog eyes, starting to cry? It's your dog, because they smell the food coming. Well, the same is true with the enemy. You start giving the enemy a sample, guess what? He comes back for more, and continues to beg, and continues to beg, and continues to beg. And the more he begs, the more we get sucked into those puppy dog eyes, the more we're apt to give him. But if you resist him, and you don't give in to his pleas, the word of God says he will flee from you. And you'll have all the provision God has prepared for yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go to the uh, all-you-can-eat buffet, I take those words all-you-can-eat very seriously. And I make sure I get every cent of my $9.99 out of that buffet. I get every cent. Make sure it's fully satisfied. I even make sure I get a few refills of my drink just to make sure I get the tax in there too. See, the thing is, is you and I have been seated at the table of the Lord. 
And he's prepared a bountiful blessing for you. Blessings of eternal legacy. Blessings of healthy relationships. Blessing of joy and contentment in your situation. Blessing of true and unfailing love. He's prepared a feast for you so that you can gorge yourself on over and over and over on the good things of God. Oh God, let me eat in this place today. Hand me a fork and knife. I'm ready for lunch. Not just because it's noon. Who's hungry in this place today? Not just for physical food, but for the food that comes from the Lord. You see, the problem with many of us is that we've become very picky eaters. We would rather eat the processed, cancer-causing garbage from the drive through window of the world than the all-natural, hormone-modified, free delicacies God has set before us at His table. Our minds have been tricked to think that the fast food of the world is better than the organic that God provides. And so we sacrifice the good God has prepared for the cheap imitation of the world. But if today we would stay at the table and just eat what God has prepared, if the church would say, I'm not going to eat the junk that the enemy is peddling. I'm going to be hungry for the Lord's provision. I want to eat what God is preparing. I'm changing my appetite today. I'm going to crave the things of God, not the things of the world. And we would only eat from God's table. Guess what? Our taste buds would change. Our desires will change. I think the Bible calls that becoming a new what? Creation. We would be happy, healthy, and holy people. If you remember what Jesus did with five loaves and two fish, I'm sure that at his table, if we got down to the last morsel and we said, hey, God, I'm ready for some more, guess what? Poof, there it is. He's good at bringing food to the table. Because there is no end to his grace. There is no end to his mercy. There is no end to his goodness and love. Ephesians 3.18, Paul says to the church of Ephesus, says, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. You see, the moment we get to the place where we think we've got God all figured out, he removes a scale from our eyes, and we realize, oh, wait, there's more. There's more. We will never get to the end of discovering who he is. We'll never get filled to the place where we can't fit any more God in. And through all of eternity, we'll get to discover how big and how great and how wonderful our God is. Who is hungry today? Who's hungry for the things of God? Because the table is set and it's been blessed. He's just waiting for you to take the first bite. Let's read the last verse together. Psalm 23, verse 6. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. See, following the shepherd, you may head into a dark land, a dark valley. But what touches you, even though it may be painful, what you touch will be beautiful. See, because the promise of God here is not that you will follow goodness and mercy, but that goodness and mercy will follow you. Why? Because you follow the shepherd. He leads you on the paths of righteousness. And the paths of righteousness lead you to experience the rich and satisfying life. As I eat at the Lord's table, drinking in the goodness of our God, he pours over me grace and mercy. Psalm 103, 4 and 5 
says, He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth, my youth, my youth, youth, eagles. God pours over us blessing on the journey. We will be blessed on that path of righteousness. But goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. This is speaking of what kind of impact your life is going to have. What kind of legacy you are going to leave. How well you're going to be remembered by others. How well you loved others and how well you lived your life. How many lives you're going to touch and change through what God is doing in you. What kind of wake you're going to make in the river of life. A life blessed that blesses others. Goodness and mercy are going to follow you if you stay on the path following the shepherd. And then the last part, Psalm 23, verse 6. Let's read it together. It says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. We need to stop focusing on how dark it is in the valley. And remember how bright it is in the light. Remember that the light is coming on the other side of the valley. That's why we're heading through it, because God is leading us to the other side. God's promises will all be fulfilled one day. And at the end of it all, when we breathe our last breath, we will get the ultimate prize, which is eternal life with our Heavenly Father. John 14, 2 and 3, Jesus speaking to his disciples, says, There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me wherever I am. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In eternity, the abundant life will stop being a pursuit and will become a state of being. Every tear will be wiped from your eyes. The valleys of sorrow... And the shadow of death will be no more. And we will forever be in the joy of the Lord. That is our hope as Christians. That is what we hope for, long for, and pray for. But until that day, Paul said we've been given the Holy Spirit as a foretaste of future glory to guide us on the path of righteousness, to lead us to the abundant life, to give us power to overcome our sinful nature so that we can enjoy all of God's blessings in the here and now that he's prepared for us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Questions for you to think through today and discuss over your lunch table or in your small group is this. Number one, do you hear the voice of the shepherd? And are you following him? Maybe you're here today and you've never begun a relationship with Jesus. You've never met the shepherd. Maybe you've come to church, but this has never become something true of your heart, a faith step that you've said, yes, I want to follow the Lord. Well, today is the day you make that decision. Today is the day you meet Jesus and you begin 
following the shepherd as part of his flock. And in just a moment, when we sing again, I'm going to invite you to have an opportunity to pray and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Number one, do you hear the voice of the shepherd? Number two, what ways have you been straying from the path? What ways that you know that God has made obvious to you that you have chosen to stray away? Number three, are you hungry for the Lord? Are you hungry to eat at his table or have you been giving up what he's prepared so you can eat the cheap knockoff from the world? Do you hunger for God? And number four, do you trust the shepherd enough to surrender your life to him today to say, God, all I am is yours. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. No matter how dark the valley gets, I'm with you, Jesus. And if not, why not? What's in the way? Let's bow our heads today in this place as we go into an attitude of prayer. You're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This is the most important thing, an important step that you can make. And right here where you are, you can begin that relationship simply by calling out to your God, inviting the Son of God to be king of your heart and choosing to follow the shepherd today. Right where you are, you can pray a prayer with me. You can repeat this prayer with me just from your heart to God. Just say, Father in heaven, I know I'm a sinner, and please forgive me. I've not been following the shepherd. I've not been walking the paths of righteousness. But today, I'm going to listen to your voice. Forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and Savior. I trust in Jesus and his death and resurrection. I am yours today, now and forever. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me today, Scripture says that you've gone from death to life. You've been ushered in into the sheepfold, and you are now part of the church. You have become part of a bigger and greater story. God has purposed great things for your life, and he intends to use you as the plan to change the world. And we're so excited for you today. But if you're here today, and you've been straying from the path of righteousness, maybe you've just gotten so comfortable, you've actually become indifferent in your faith journey. True steps of faith freak you out because you've forgotten that God is with you and what you can accomplish with the spirit of your God. Maybe you're here today and your desires have been more for the fast food of the world and not what's been prepared at the Lord's table. As we begin to sing together today, I'm going to invite you to go to the Lord in prayer. You can either come forward to this first row of seats and just bow before the Lord and just lay yourself down before him or even right where you are. But respond to him today. Give your life to him today. Begin walking the path of righteousness. Begin walking in the blessings of our God. Father in heaven, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for this song, this song. I thank you how it ministers to our soul. I thank you how it reminds us that you are leading us, that we're not just a stagnant and 
floundering in the place we are in this life. God, but you're leading us somewhere. You're leading us to greener pastures. You're leading us beside still waters. Your goal is to restore our soul and to lead us into the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. And we trust in that today. God, we trust that no matter the situations we're facing today, no matter how scary the valleys are that we are walking through today, God, if we stay focused on your voice, if we keep following where you're leading, we're going to get through it. And goodness and mercy are going to follow us all the way through. Lord, I thank you for this church and all those that have gathered here today. God, I pray you continue to work in their hearts and lives. Move the mountains that need moved. Break the strongholds that need broken. For the one here, God, that walked in just feeling overwhelmed with with grief and with shame, God, I just pray a release of that now in the name of Jesus as your love begins to wash over them. We just give this time to you now in Jesus' name.